We're having good service tonight, aren't we? Praise the Lord for that. Thank you, Brother Scott. Appreciate that. Well, I said this morning to the folks that were in the morning service that, um, that I wanted to go ahead and address doubt tonight. So if you take your Bible, if you would go to 1 John, 1 John. And the purpose of the message is not to create doubt. The purpose of the message is to try to take and remove doubt. 1 John. And if you go to 1 John chapter 3, we'll start there. 1 John chapter 3. Now the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Amen. Now I believe probably the, if I had to say one thing that I have tried to help God's people with more than anything, it would probably be dealing with doubt. There are good people that have sat in my office or called me on the phone or have met me someplace and said, Preacher, I am just, I am struggling with doubting my salvation. And it is something bothering me because those people know there is a heaven and they know there's a hell and they're very concerned because they're fearful that instead of going to heaven, they might be headed to hell. Now, you may have never had that experience in your life. But I want to tell you this, that doubt is something that good people experience. Just give you a little, I guess, history of myself. When I got right with God at 23 years of age, I was 23 years old, got right with God and made the profession of faith when I was about five and got saved. The first time I think I ever understood what sin was, I found out that I was a sinner. I didn't just do something bad to my little brother, but I had sinned. And because I had sinned, that made me a sinner. And if I was a sinner... My pastor had gotten up and talked about sinners being in hell, and I thought, well, I'm on my way to hell. I was scared to death, ran to my dad, and he didn't turn on the television, and he didn't call a pastor, but he opened up a Bible and showed me that Jesus paid for my sin. Now, at 23 years of age, when I got right with God, the devil told me there's no way you could have been born again and lived like that. And listen, when I got right with God, I cut, I cut so many ties. I... I witnessed all my friends to the place that nobody wanted to call me and talk to me. They didn't want to have anything to do with me. Um, I got rid of all the habits that I had. I got rid of all kinds of music that I had. By the way, I would say this. If you get saved or you get right with God, there ought to be a change in your life. There ought to be a change. And so I got rid of music. I got rid of clothing. I changed all kinds of things about my life because I wanted to live for God. And in the middle of all that, the devil says, well, you're not only living, not only can you not live for God, you're going to hell. You couldn't have lived the way you lived and be saved. And I got to agreeing with him about that. And I was just, it was torment. 
I'd go to church and I'd hear messages preached. I'd go to pray. And, you know, sometimes it would be sweet and other times there would be something that would come into my heart. And I would, I would get up so troubled. I would go home so troubled, bothered, just to no end that I, I, I'm not saved. And I would begin reading. And at that time I was reading so much of the Bible. Still read the Bible. Still believe you ought to read a lot of it. But I was reading and reading and doubt. Doubt came to my mind. Listen, I'm telling you, I believe that devil, the devil uses doubt to torment God's children. I believe you can see that in Genesis chapter 3. He told Eve, yea, hath God said. He told her, hey, listen, you can doubt what God has to say. I'd like to say tonight the devil's a liar. You can trust what God has to say. You mean, he tried it on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 4, and I'm not going to ask you to turn, but in Matthew 4, twice, he looked at Jesus and he said, If thou be the Son of God, if you really are who you say you are, then I want you to do this. And my dear brothers and sisters, if the devil would try to cause Jesus to question who he was, certainly he'll cause you to question who you are. I hear somebody say, well, why would I doubt? Well, you know, there's, there's about five reasons I give you for why people doubt. Number one, people doubt because they have a false profession. They doubt their salvation just like you heard a moment ago. Because they made a profession because their friend made a profession. Now, just because your friend made a profession and you got got down on your knees doesn't mean that you really got saved. All I'm just saying is that sometimes people make a false profession. Sometimes people get saved because they're in trouble. Every year at Vacation Bible School we would always talk about people that um, if a child was in trouble you got to be careful because they might come and want to get saved thinking that when they go home they won't get in as much trouble. People get saved when they think they're in trouble. Sometimes people make a false profession because it's just not personal. It's, it's, it's a prayer. It's just something they can repeat. I don't think it's wrong to pray a prayer, but I would say this. Your, your testimony of salvation should be you were a sinner personally and Jesus was your personal Savior. There are a lot of people that, that, that that's not anything in their life whatsoever. So there are people that make false professions. They don't understand what they're doing. And so they doubt. And then there are other people, they have unconfessed sin in their life. The reason some people doubt is because they have sin down in their life and they know that it's there and they know they shouldn't be doing it, but they keep a hold of it. And because of that, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 that there is a looking for of judgment from God that I know down in my heart I shouldn't be living like this. And it breaks my relationship with my father. So it causes me to doubt because I have sin in my life. You know what I'd say tonight? I'd say get rid of your sin and then that way God can help you with your doubt. Amen. 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 Then there are other people that doubt because they're very self-reliant. They don't read the Bible. How many of you think you ought to read your Bible? All right. You know what? The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I can't tell you how many times I've asked somebody, do you have any sin in your life? No, Pastor, I don't have any sin in my life. Well, do you read your Bible? Well, not like I ought to. Well, how often do you read your Bible? Oh, Occasionally. Well, you know, if you don't read your Bible very often, then you're almost saying, God, I don't need what is in this book. You know what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah said that I have esteemed his words more than my necessary food. In other words, I need this book more than I need the next meal that I'm going to eat. Amen. I'm saying when you get to a place where you're in the Bible and you're, you're reading it, the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. God can increase your faith by reading his book. Amen. Some people doubt because they silence their witness. 
They never say a word to anybody about their salvation. Tonight, when I asked Brother Rob to give his testimony of salvation, I knew it was going to be a, a very, you know, that, that could be a very scary thing. And same thing with, with Lindsay. Why don't you come up here and give your testimony of salvation? Because how is that going to be received? And, and really, I think the first thing that you ought to do when you get saved is not to be baptized. I think the first thing you ought to do when you get saved is tell somebody about what Jesus did for you. I get that from Mark chapter 5 where the maniac of Gadara said, I want to, Lord, I, I want to be with you where you are. And he said, no, I want you to go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you. Hey, if God saved you, shouldn't you tell somebody about that? And so I'm just saying, when you silence your witness, which is exactly what the devil wants you to do, he doesn't want you to tell anybody about what Jesus could do for them. He wants you to be quiet. I remember we had a lady in our church, dear lady, she was... Uh, Faithful, had a great spirit, great testimony, came from a great family, had no, no vice, no habits in her life. She came to me and she said, Pastor, she said, I am just, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not saved. And so I began to ask her, I said, well, sister, um, tell me about your salvation. She told me about her profession. I said, well, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? No, Pastor, I don't. I'm not perfect, but I don't have anything that I'm holding on to. So, sister, are you reading your Bible? She said, Pastor, I read my Bible regularly. I said, well, have you ever told anybody about what Jesus did for you, about being saved? And she said, you know, I don't do that at all very much. I said, why don't you do this, sister? Why don't you go this week? Why don't you tell five people about what Jesus has done for you? I came into church that Wednesday night. She was smiling from ear to ear. I, I knew before I ever got up there what she was going to say. I walked up to her, and she, as soon as I got she said, oh, pastor, I'm saved. I said, did you tell? She said, I told several people about what Jesus did for me. And all I'm just, the devil wants you to keep your mouth silent because he doesn't want the truth to get out that Jesus came to save sinners. A silent witness. And then sometimes people are tormented or they doubt their salvation because Satan loves to torment God's people. I think that's what he wanted to do with me. You know, the Bible is very clear that the devil had the power of death and that people all their lives were subject to fear of death. They were kept in bondage. You know, the devil can't take your salvation, but he can keep you from enjoying it on the way to heaven. Try to torment you. And when I say good people, I mean, I've talked to people that they're in the ministry and I've talked to people that are, I mean, they're family members. They are, they have a clean life and, and they have a great testimony of salvation, but they, they're tormented. And I think the devil wants to torment God's children. In fact, I think that's why we ought to hate the devil. I hate the devil. He torments God's children and he doesn't want them to know what God says that he wants them to know. In fact, I said start in 1 John 3, start in 1 John 5. Eternal life, the certainty of eternal life, getting rid of the doubt. The Bible says in 1 John 5 and verse number 13, we'll start in verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. Anybody out there got life tonight? And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. God, God has given you a promise of eternal life and God doesn't want you doubting and he doesn't want you tormented. God wants you to know where you're going when you leave this world. 
That's why he writes down, these things have I written, that ye may know. I can hear Oliver Green saying, K-N-O-W, know. God doesn't want you to wonder. God, God, listen, God doesn't want you to hope. God doesn't want you to wish you were saved. God wants you to know you're saved. That's what God wants. God said, I want you to know that you have eternal life. I don't want you to question that. The devil says, no, you need to doubt that. You need to doubt whether or not you're in the family. You need to doubt whether or not you've been forgiven. You need to doubt whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. God says, that's not what I want for you at all. I want you to know that you have eternal life. I'm glad I don't have to die to figure out where I'm going. I'm glad I can know where I'm going before I die. Right? There's some verses that go along with that. My, one of my favorite verses. Put a mark there just a minute. Let me show you how that God wants you to know. Go to John 5 just a minute and we'll, we'll turn to there and then maybe we'll get into a couple of other verses. Look at John chapter 5. How do I keep this doubt out of my mind? Well, first of all, God gave you a promise of eternal life. He wants you to know that. God promised eternal life. You know, God's not, God's not like a man. God doesn't make promises and then not keep them. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And look, John chapter 5, great, great, great verse in the Bible. Verse number 24, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Can you read these next three words with me? Hath everlasting life. Do you see that in your Bible? God said, if you would hear the truth and believe on Jesus Christ, that you have everlasting life. That is present tense. That doesn't say one day we'll have, I'm working toward everlasting life. If you heard the truth and you believed on Jesus, you have everlasting life right now. You have it right now. He wants you to know that. Jesus said those words so that they would know they had everlasting life. Then look at the next word. And shall not come into condemnation. Boy, I'm telling you what. The devil will tell you you're going to hell. You ought to go to hell. And you've sinned enough to go to hell. You, you're going to be in the hottest part of hell. The devil will torment you about all the things you've done wrong in your life and how you're not fit for heaven. All I'm telling you tonight is if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall not come into condemnation. Now, there may be some people that condemn you, and there may be some people that remember things that you've done. And, you know, the truth is salvation takes care of your eternity, but the consequences of sin sometimes you have to live with. But I'm telling you tonight, one of the consequences on the Word of God you'll never have to live with, if you've been born again, you will never face condemnation in eternity. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now, the devil might condemn you, and your conscience might condemn you, and somebody you know might condemn you, and a family member might condemn you, but I'm telling you right now, God will never condemn you, and that's the one that counts the most. Amen. Shall not come into condemnation. My, my pastor one time was, at one time in my life, was Brother Bobby Grubbs, and if you knew Brother Bobby, he was probably about 6'6", six, six maybe. He probably weighed about 400-plus pounds. Oh, he was a big boy from Tennessee now. He was, and loved to eat. And he'd get happy when he was preaching sometimes. And when he's preaching, he'd say, whoop, glory. <laughs> Stick his tongue out of the corner of his mouth. Long before Michael Jordan ever knew anything about it, he, he'd get to praising God. Whoop, 
glory. And then every now and then he'd get, he'd get a little bit beside himself and he'd talk about being saved. He said, I'm on my way to heaven. He said, I'm so saved. I could swing out over hell on a rotten corn stalk singing Amazing Grace and not worry about dropping in. Somebody weigh 400 pounds, swing out on a rotten corn stalk, they must have a whole lot of confidence where they're headed. Right? But that's what God wants you to know. God doesn't want you to sit in doubt and sit in fear. God doesn't want you to live in torment about the next day. God wants you to know where you're going when you leave this world shall not come into condemnation. Then look at that last part. But it's passed from death unto life. <laughs> I'm telling you what, I moved from death to life the day I got saved. Amen. I moved from death to life. I moved from darkness to light. I, there's a time you lived in darkness. There's a time you lived dead in your trespasses and sin. But when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, then the light came in and the life came in and you passed from it and you can't go back even if you want to. <laughs> it's so funny. Every now and then you meet somebody and they'll say they're 39 and holding. Have you ever met anybody like that? I'm 39 and holding. Well, you can hold 39 as long as you want to, but once you pass to 40, you can never go back to 39. Come on now, you know that's right. It's kind of like 50. The only birthday that ever bothered me was 50. It did. It bothered, it bothered me that I got a card from AARP in the mail before I was 50. It did. I would say it hurt my feelings, but it did worse. It made me mad. <laughs> I won't call those people and tell them, hey, you have to be busy. 50 bothered me. You know what? Once I passed from 49 to 50, there was never any going back. And now I know I'm old and I'm happy with it. I'm good with it. You know, when you pass from death unto life, you can never go back. And God wants you to know that. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I want you to know this. The devil doesn't want you to know that. But God, listen. God wants you to know that you've passed from death unto life, won't come into condemnation, and you've got life right now. God wants you to know that. So he wrote something in the Bible, a promise to you. I told you, man breaks his promises. God never breaks his promises. Never. And he promised that. Give you one other verse that's helped me. Go to first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. God wants you to know 2 Timothy chapter 1. I can't prove that Paul necessarily doubted his salvation, but I would tell you this, that God wrote through his hand a great verse. We sing about it, make a song about it. The Bible says at the end of verse number 10, we'll just read the verse, but it's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You get life and you get immortality through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again. Look what he says in verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Amen. You know, every time I think about that verse, sometimes people say, well, I can't remember what I prayed. I've had people tell me that. Preacher, I don't remember what I prayed when I got saved. And, and I, I don't know the words that I prayed. 
I've had people tell me, preacher, I, I can't remember the message that was being preached when I went forward. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Preacher, I don't remember whether or not I was deeply convicted or not. I, I can't remember those things. You know what I like to ask them? Do you know who you believed in? The Bible doesn't say I know what I have prayed. The Bible says I know whom I have believed. The Bible, doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say I know how deeply I, convicted I was. The Bible says I know whom I have believed. I'm telling you right now, my faith is not in my prayer. My faith is not in my conviction level. My faith is not on whether or not I understood repentance or the Trinity or anything else. My faith is in the fact that Jesus said he died for my sins and I'm trusting him. I'm not trusting the Baptist religion or denomination or the King James Bible. I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior. I don't remember the date. That's all right. You don't need to remember the date if you can remember who you talked to when you got in. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that. You know, we don't keep our salvation, do we? I've had people say, well, you can't keep your salvation. You're exactly right. Don't have to. Somebody else is keeping it for me. Right. That's First Peter. The Bible talks about how that I'm kept by the power of God. Listen, <laughs> I didn't save myself, and I can't keep myself saved. Jesus did the saving, and he's doing the keeping. Amen. Amen. That's a promise from God, and he wants you to know that. The certainty of eternal life is based on the promise of God. Oh, my for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. That's a promise. To him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I've had people say, preacher, I'm too far gone to be saved. I'm too wicked to be saved. If you do all that I've done, you'd know God couldn't save me. Listen, that's because you've got too big a view of yourself and too small a view of God. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. He wants you to know that. It's a promise of eternal life. Go back to 1 John, if you would. 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, not only is it a promise, but it's also a relationship. I'm in the right family now. What do you mean by that? Verse number 1, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. If you ever need to look at the love of God to you, all you've got to do is look at the cross of Calvary. If you want to see how much he loved you, look at the blood that streamed down his hands. Look at the stripes that were on his back. Look at the beard that was plucked out. Look at the nails that were in his hands and his feet. Look at the crown that was beaten down into his head. Look at the spit that was running. I'm telling you, if you ever need to see a picture of how much Jesus loved you, all you got to do is look at Calvary. Jesus loved you and proved that at Calvary. But behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I'm in the right family now. I've been born again. You know what that means? That now I'm no longer in the family of the devil. I'm no longer in the family of the world. I'm in the family of God. That means that God is my father. And I'm, I, listen, I'm in the right family. And you know what? When father calls us all home, I'm going to be sitting in his house, not some other place. Now, my relationship is something that is proven. It is a fact. My fellowship's a different story. 
First John, that was quoted tonight. In First John, when you look over in just a page over in First John, the word fellowship jumps off the page in verse 3 and down in verse number 6 and down in verse number 7. It's about fellowship. The fellowship is something that we have one with another and that we have with Jesus Christ. But if we walk in darkness and say we have fellowship with him, that was going to, we lie and do not the truth. My fellowship with God can be broken, but my relationship with God can never be broken. You know, I, I, was, uh, I was born in 1965, and, and I was born to Wyman and Carolyn Logan in Decatur, Alabama. And, and uh, I had a mother and dad that loved me, and I'm thankful for it. I had a mother and dad that took me to church before I was ever born and never gave me a choice after I came into this world. Dad never said one time, hey, son, would you like to go to church? He said, get in the car get in the car. In fact, he would be in the car and would blow the horn if we didn't get out fast enough. Anybody have a dad like that beside me? He didn't say, son, do you feel like going to school? He said, get in the car. All right. But he loved me. He loved me. And um, I, I knew he was my dad. Had no doubt about that. But every now and then our fellowship would get a little bit sideways and it was my fault. You know, most of the time it had to do with small things, just disobedience that I, I knew better. You know, uh, Dad had to, he told us, he, we had to, one of our responsibilities was cut the grass, my brother and I. And, and uh, you know, Dad would say, I want the grass cut when I get home today. And, you know, we would always put it off until the last minute. Mom would remind us, your daddy's coming home. Boy, when I'd see that yellow Dodge Dart coming down the road, I'd run out there and start that push mower going up down the road fast as I could. And, He'd get out of the car, and I knew I was in trouble. And sometimes the fellowship would get a little sideways when I got a little bit older. Dad said, don't you ever bring that into the house again. Fellowship got a little sideways, got a little tense. I was expecting something that I deserved. And you know, the same thing's true if you're born again. You know, when you sin, I think it grieves God. Now, listen, when, when my fellowship was broken my dad, it grieved him. I don't think he enjoyed that. And he wanted to restore it. And I'm telling you tonight, listen, you, you, might, you might have a break in your fellowship when you're not living right with God and you start looking for judgment. But I'm glad the Bible says in 1 John, it also says if we'll confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In fact, you go down and look in chapter 2. I think I'm going to read this just in case we might have somebody believes that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 2, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. Don't do the wrong thing. Don't sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So when I get into a mess, I've got somebody to go to the Father on my behalf, and my, my fellowship may get broken, but I've got somebody that can step in between and say, Father, I paid the sin debt for him. All those sins have been paid for, and he's part of our family. And you know what I believe? I believe the Father says, accepted, I'm accepting what you did. Not me, but he's accepting what Jesus did. And since I accepted what you did, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to go ahead and cleanse and forgive all of you. I'm in the right family. I'm not just a Baptist. I'm, I'm glad I'm a Baptist. 
And I'm glad I'm an independent Baptist. I believe they're as close to the Bible as you'll ever find, New Testament doctrine. But I'm, I'm, I'm a whole lot deeper in than just being a Baptist or an independent Baptist. I'm tell, listen, I, I, I'm a whole lot farther down the road than that. I'm in the family of God by spiritual birth when I was five years of age. And I'm telling you, I'm not in the family of death. My father is the father of life and light. I'm in the right family now. Amen. I'm in the right family. He wants you to know that. He don't want you to guess about that. He wants you to know which family you're a part of. My dad, my dad, my dad, anytime I said, Dad, I'm going to come home, he'd say, well, come on, son. Well, they made sure I had a key to get into that house. He let me get anything I want. You can have whatever you want in the refrigerator. You know why? Because I was, I was part of his family. I was his boy. If I called him up in the middle of the night, dad leave what he needed to do. He'd come help me. Mom was the same way. You know why? Because I'm in the right family. I'm telling you, are you listening to me? God wants you to know based on the promises of eternal life, but you're in the right family, so you have the promise of eternal life because you're in the family that life is in. Amen. Amen. And then last thing, and I'll be finished in case there's any more question about it. There's some proofs that you belong to the family of God. Right here, some evidence. If you look there in verse number 14, here's one of them. Look at these. This, I'll just give you four, maybe five tonight. Number one, the Bible says in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You know one of the proofs that you have that you've been born again and you have eternal life? You love the brethren. Now, now watch this. I want you to do this. Turn to somebody and tell them you love them right now. Can you do that? Fine. And if you're, there's nobody around you, turn around behind somebody and tell them you love them. And you love them. And I love them. You know, that's easy to do, isn't it? It's, e it's easy to be able to say, I love you. But it's another thing to have that love down in your heart and that there's a kindredness there, that there's something there between you. Listen, there, there are people in this, I've only been here, I've not even been here six years. I've not been here six years. How many of you have been here less than six years? You raise your hand. A lot of us. Been here less than six years. But I'm telling you, I, I, watched, I watched Harold Merrick walk out the door this morning, and I didn't get to say much to him. I just said, hey, but I'm telling you, I, I, don't, know, I don't know Brother Merrick. Merrick. I've known him for about almost six years. I'm telling you right now, there's a love in my heart for Harold Merrick and Mildred Merrick that I didn't put there. He didn't, as far as I know, he's never given me any great sum of money. He's just always been good to me. But it's more than being good. There is a love that is genuine, that is there, that is real. Randy Morgan. I, I love Randy Morgan. He's going to be upset that I said that. I, it, it's hard to get around Randy and not, not have love in your heart. I think it's one of the best deacons I've ever been around in my life. I mean, that man's out there doing things. And nobody, he's not doing them for any, he's going to be upset, not doing it for any recognition. But boy, I get around him and there's something in my heart that says, you know what? I love that man right there. And then there's something in him I think says back to me, yeah, I love that man right there. You know, I really didn't know Dr. Aiken before I came here. Six years ago, I knew he was a pastor. I knew he took a great big job because I graduated from here. I remember shaking. He, he won't even remember some of these things. I remember he was standing right there. I shook his hand. I told him, you know, hey, listen, glad that you pastor the church. I'm going to be praying for you. I know he won't even remember that. But since I've been back, it's easy to love Dr. Aiken. There's something in there. And I look around this auditorium, this room, and I start thinking about the people that I love. I, listen, David Roth, David Roth was the assistant Dean when I was here. I don't know that I loved him. I was afraid of him. 
Really, I was. I was afraid of him because he would come in and he would inspect our dorm. Yeah. <laughs> Brother Roth was the judgment of God. <laughs> And you know, one day, Brother Roth came into church with his family. Now, he sits here during services when he's not out preaching. I can say, honestly, there's a love in my heart to a man that loves prayer. How do you explain that? You know, I hadn't gotten to know the Grands very well. But people that moved from New York, there was a time in my life, I, really, I, I probably would have not been too kindly disposed toward people from New York. I don't think that's a good thing. I, um, I don't think it's a good thing. <laughs> but we have people in this church, there are several that are from places that probably at one time I would have had a different way of looking. People like Brother Rob and people like Ward, the Grand family. People like Brother Rob that's come in from Rhode Island. And you get around those people and the next thing you know, you're saying, hey, man, hey, love you, hope you have a good day. And, and you know, that's that just kind of something that comes from inside. People like, listen, Daniel and Jeanette are really easy to love, aren't they? Yeah. Can't wait to get back to New York and see a church planted. I believe God's going to use them to plant a church. But God says, listen, hereby we know that we have passed from death unto life, that we love the brethren. The Pignellos are, they're from California. There would have been a time I would have said a lot of ugly things about people from California. You know, I, sometimes I question whether or not California is really even part of America. They have all these strange ideas, but you know what I found out? There's some really good people that come from California. And I, 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 they didn't give me money and didn't do this. They, it wasn't a favor. It was just something in the heart. You know what? When the devil gets you to doubting whether or not you belong to the family of God, just ask yourself this question. Why do I love the people I go to church with in the first place? Have you ever been to a church you've never, had never been there in your lifetime? And when you walked in there, all of a sudden you meet somebody and it's like, boom, you just, something on the inside says, well, these are God, this is God's people right here. Have you, listen, have you ever been in a restaurant? Have you ever been out in public and all of a sudden the person you're talking to, there's something different and you ask them, hey, by the way, are you born again? Oh yeah, I'm born again. I knew it. There was something, there was something on the inside that says, hey, that's one of my children right there. And there's a love there. I don't think that's something that's just contrived or made up. Secondly, secondly, not only is a, an evidence that you love the brethren something that God says is a proof, but also if you look there in verse number 22, 1 John chapter 3, verse number 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. Look at chapter 5 and verse number 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. You know, I like to say another proof that you're born again is that God answers your prayers. In other words, the, 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 the need that you had that you offered up to God and you said, God, would you meet this need? Listen, that wasn't met by your workplace and it wasn't met by the government and it wasn't met by good luck. It was met by God in heaven who heard and answered your prayer. I'm so excited. If Mrs. Sandy was here tonight, I was going to have her say something about it. Our children's home. Where are you at, Justin? Where are you at? There, there you are. Justin asked a question at prayer meeting. Um, I just want to pray for the houses that are going to be built for the children's home. 
When, when are we going to get that going? Well, this past week I started looking, and every now and then I get what I, they'll, they'll give me letters of people that give a sizable amount of money, or at least a, a, you know they make a, a pretty large donation in, in any respect of the word. And I'll re- look over those, and I got to looking, and and I started noticing that well, here's a church that sent a sixty-three hundred dollar penny offering in from VBS. How many of you think sixty-three hundred dollars worth of pennies is a lot of pennies? I told the pastor, you need to come here and teach us how to do that. Then I looked at another church sending $5,200 from their penny offering from BBA. And then I look at another one, and it's, this one's 5000 And then here's another one, 5000 And here's, here's another one, 5000 just says donation. Then there would be another check, 5000 Then have something on the side written, we just want to make sure the children are taken care of, use this however you want. I called Miss Sandy, and I said, Miss Sandy, I'm just excited. She said, why is that? I said, did you notice all the money that came in just, just extra this much? She said, I did. And, and I said, do you know why I'm excited? And she said, why? I said, it looks like to me God is already supplying the need before we ever start talking about how much money we're going to need to build houses up on the hill. You say, oh, that's just coincidence. I'd rather believe it's God answering prayer. God, you know what we need. I've been praying, God, can you meet the need? And God, God is just sending, hey, answered prayer. Well, that's just coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence when it comes to a God in heaven that answers prayer specifically. Come on, let's help one another out tonight. How many of you have asked God specifically? I'm not talking about in general, keep us safe as we travel. I'm talking about you've asked God for something specifically that you didn't ask anybody else for, but you asked him. And God, God answered that prayer. How many of you say, that's certainly true of my life. Now, let's, let's try this. How many of you can say, that hadn't just happened once, but that has happened many times. Would you raise your hand? Are you listening to me tonight? That is not just some arbitrary chance and luck. That is the proof that you've got a Father in heaven that delights in answering the prayer of his children. He wants you to know that. Daniel's here tonight, and when he was a little boy, I can remember, I, we got advertisements from now, now and again from companies that, would want us to use their product and put our church name on it. And they would send them in, and most of the time I would just throw them in the garbage. Well, this time they sent one in, and I, I, I took it out of the bag, and I kept it. And I, I remember bringing it home, and I told Abby that I had brought home with me. It was a blue Frisbee that had on the outside of it the name of the company. And she said, I can't believe that. I said, you can't believe what? She said that you brought home a blue Frisbee. I said, why not? She said, because Daniel prayed that God would give him a blue Frisbee. Now, you know what? I'm sure somebody listening to me right now says, that is just coincidence. Are you kidding me? How many people in here have ever been given a blue Frisbee? And yet, yet one of God's children says, if you don't mind, would you send me a blue Frisbee? Okay, that's no problem. There you go. You say, what did that do for your faith? That increased my faith. Because there's a God that answers prayer specifically. Amen. First John chapter 4. What's another proof? An evidence of eternal life. Now, God's promised eternal life. And you're in the family of life. You can't, you can't be unborn from that family. First John chapter 4. Look what the Bible says in verse number Six, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
You know, one of the proofs that you, uh, you're born of God is that you like to hear the Word of God. Yeah. yeah. Amen. You know, tonight, if you wanted to, you could be at home watching your favorite TV show. But instead, you're sitting in church with a Bible saying, okay, we want to hear some preaching. And not just hear some preaching, but act on the preaching that you hear. You know, sometimes preaching is very pointed and very sharp and very hard. And, and it deals with sin in our life, pride, envy, jealousy. It deals with other things, immorality, drunkenness, all those things. And the Bible deals with those things. And you know what? One of the things that's a proof that you belong to God is when he starts dealing with you about that thing, you say, yes, sir, Lord, I need to get that thing right. Or he says, you know, you forgot to do this and you've not loved me the way you should and you've not worshiped like you should. And you, and you hear that and you say, you know what, Lord, I say amen to that instead of sitting here. Like, Listen, I'm telling you, I preach to some people, boy, they cross their arms and they say, I am not going to hear what's in that Bible. You know, a proof that you're born again is that you uncross those arms and you cup that ear and you say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. I just want to know what you got to say. Amen. I guarantee there's some people in here that before you got saved, you didn't want to hear anything the Bible had to say. But now that you've been born again, you like to find out what's in this precious book. And then if you look again there in verse number 13, this was also mentioned tonight. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. Yeah, you know you're born again because the spirit of God lives inside of you. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. What? Know ye not you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God says, I paid the full redemption price for you. Now you belong to me. So the Holy Ghost moves inside. The Spirit of God is within us. He's within us. I think that's a reality. I don't think that's just something spoken religiously. Um, how many of you have ever been guided into truth by the Spirit of God? You, you tried to figure out what the truth was and the Spirit of God guided you into what you needed to know. How many of you ever been reproved by the Spirit of God? Have you ever been reproved? How many of you ever had the Spirit of God prompt you to glorify God? That's what the Holy Ghost does. My, my brother and I were preaching together in Georgia last week and he, got, he said he was preaching and this lady, this lady in Greece had come to them and, and uh, they had been talking to her and she'd been coming to services and, and finally they sat down with her and they said, listen, we, you, you need to be saved. And, and she said, listen, I, I'm not going to get saved because you want me to get saved and I'm not going to get saved because you want me to get saved. I'm going to get saved when I want to get saved because I'm the one that needs to be doing, getting, getting saved. So, like, okay, yes, ma'am. And then she stops him on a street in Thessalonica and she comes running up and said, I did it. Brent said he kind of backed up and said, did what? She said, I did it. She said, I asked Jesus to save me. Amen. Got on her knees right there. And they're worshiping and praising God that she got born again. Well, then she comes to church and my brother, he said she'd come and she was growing and, and she's growing and growing. And he says, I got to preaching one, one evening on the Holy Ghost about how the Holy Ghost is in you and that his voice speaks to you and there's communion of the Holy Ghost. And he said, as I got to preaching, she started laughing, laughing. And he said out loud. I mean, and he said, I just kept preaching and he he said, she just kept laughing louder. And he finally, he said, I, he said, I stopped. And I, I, he called her by name. And he said, what is so funny? She said, I thought I was crazy. 
He said, what? She said, I thought I was crazy. She said, but tonight you're preaching about how that the Holy Ghost is inside of me. She thought I was, she said, I thought I was crazy because I was hearing voices and I would do something and something would say, that's not what you ought to be doing. And I wouldn't do something I'm supposed to do and I'm hearing voices. She said, I thought I was going crazy, but you told me tonight, it's just a spirit. <laughs> it's a spirit of God living on the inside. <laughs> that's a witness. That's an evidence. Let's leave 1 John. This will be the last one I'll give you tonight. We could give others. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Just a few pages, if you would, till you left there. Doubt. Well, do I love the brethren? Have I ever, have I ever been given answered prayer? Do I respond to the Word of God? And is the Holy Ghost living within me? Does He reprove? Does He guide? Does He glorify Jesus? 1 Peter chapter 1, I referenced this verse earlier about how that we have an inheritance, verse 4. Verse 5, how we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. But would you look down at verse number 8? I think this is where I want to end. It talks about the appearing of Jesus in verse 7. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, <laughs> ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, one of the proofs that you belong to God is that you love the Lord Jesus Christ. You love somebody you can't see. You love somebody that's not in your view that you can't visibly see with your eyes. And you say, I just don't believe that's possible. Sure you do. Before that little baby comes into this world, it's an unseen person. And yet mom's heart is bent toward that baby and prays over it. And dad's heart is bent toward that baby. And you say, do you believe that a baby inside the womb is alive? Absolutely, I believe it's alive. But you, you have a love for something, someone you haven't seen. And I'm telling you tonight, I'm telling you tonight, it is such a blessing to have the real love of Jesus down in your heart. Listen, to love Jesus in your heart, not just to love the church, which we love, not just to love the Bible, which we love, but to love Jesus Christ because of what he's done in our life. That's a proof that you're on the right family, Amen. that you're born again. Hey, do you love Jesus? Amen. Do you love Jesus? When you, when you think about that, does it give you the ability to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory? Do you ever rejoice that Jesus Christ paid for your sin debt? Do you ever find any joy in knowing that he's got his eye on you and watching you? Boy, I'm telling you tonight, listen, I'd rather Jesus know who I was and know my need than the most powerful, wealthiest man in all the world. And I'm telling you right now, I love him because he, hey, hey, he first loved me. Amen. Amen. He's the one that initiated that. Song says, into the love of Jesus, deeper and deeper I go. I'm telling you, there are evidences in your life that try to erase that doubt. Now, if you've got unconfessed sin, take care of it. If, if you're self-reliant and you're not reading the Bible and spending any time in prayer, take care of it. If you're not being a witness and you're not telling people what Jesus did, take care of it. But if Satan's tormenting you and trying to drive you by fear, you and I'd say tonight, rest in the promise 
that these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And look at the proofs of answered prayer and the love of Jesus in your heart and the Spirit of God that lives on the inside. Oh, my. And don't let him torment you into fearfulness about condemnation because you pass from it. Amen. Boy, I hate the devil. But we sure do love Jesus Christ. Amen. Doubt. Doubt. All right, Brother Scott, if you'll come this way. And uh, while he's coming this way, if we could do this, um, he's going to mention about Brother Harold Merle, um, uh, his, his services. He's going to give you the details on that. But if we could just have all those that are going to go to South Korea, if you would just gather with me down front. And then Brother Scott's going to call us to prayer about that. So all of you folks, if you would just gather around, everybody gather All right. Uh, just an announcement about the funeral service for uh, Gary Merle, or better known to us as Bobby Merle, uh, passed away this past week. And his funeral service will be here at noon on Tuesday here at Tabernacle Baptist Church. Uh, visiting will be at 11 uh, prior to the funeral service. So we want you guys to remember um, that service on Tuesday, and please pray for the family leading up and uh, during that service. Uh, we do have the group leaving for uh, Korea, leaving out early Tuesday morning, including our pastor, and we want to pray for this group. And uh, the way we'll do this tonight, if we'll just have folks uh, just get out of your seat and we'll close the service this way, we'll have you come down and just uh, gather around this group and uh, we're going to gather as many as we can down here around front, around this group, and we just want to pray over the missions uh, team, I guess we could call it, a missions group that's going on the missions trip. So everyone that will, just slip out from where you are, and we'll come and gather in the altars and gather around this group and close in prayer tonight and pray for them. And uh, what a great blessing that uh, we have uh, this group going across uh, across the world, literally, to tell folks about Jesus, part of this uh, 250 uh, project and trying to reach folks with the gospel there in Korea. So let's, let's pray for them. All right, folks still coming. We'll give folks time that want to come and gather here in the altar, and we'll pray over this group. Let's pray. Folks still coming. Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you that we can call upon you, Lord, and you hear and answer our prayers. Lord, thank you that, Lord, you're uh, not limited in what you can do. We know, Lord, you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And we pray for this group in particular. God, you give them travel and mercy, safety as they go across the ocean god i pray that you keep them safe and protect them god i pray that uh, you'd uh, have everything lord just to go smoothly as far as their travel and lord protection from those that would try to harm them as they uh, distribute the gospel lord i pray you would just bless 
uh, those that are already there laboring for you. I pray you'd bless their ministry. And, Lord, we pray that you would help those that have already gone ahead, uh, Brother Mark and Brother Robbie, God. I pray for them as well, that you would help them. Lord, we love you. Thank you for uh, the privilege to be part of the Great Commission. And thank you, Lord, for our pastor. Thank you for the great preaching tonight from your word, Lord, that we can know that we know that we know that we're born again, that we're saved. Lord, I pray that uh, you'd protect uh, our pastor, help him, Lord, as he travels. Lord, be with this family here back in the States. And, Lord, these others that are traveling, maybe being separated for a while from their families, we pray for them. God, I pray that you would bring each one of these safely back to us. We sure love them. And, God, pray you would use them mightily for the gospel's sake. And, Lord, may uh, you take and multiply the seed that is sown, Lord, this coming week. Lord, we pray again your hand would be upon this trip, upon this group. And we sure ask these things, and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Uh, Lord bless you. You're dismissed tonight. Thank you for being in the church house. Amen, amen. <laughs>